You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. Welcome to episode 20 of On Air. The Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. As always, I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing the fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The USPHL is the nation's largest amateur ice hockey league and the only league to span the continental United States and parts of Canada. The USHPL will field approximately 550 teams in 2020 and 2021, representing over 100 organizations comprised of 11 thousand players spanning the ages of six through 20 overall across all of its divisions the usphl had more than 1200 alumni playing college hockey in 2019 and 2020 and more than 250 playing pro hockey including the nhl learn more at usphl.com last week we had the opportunity to sit down with head coach of the denison university big red mr jeff german coach german talked to us about how he got his start in hockey and how he ended up at Denison, leading the Big Red from ACHA Division Three to ACHA Division Two, and all the ups and downs it took to get there. What a great conversation with Coach! Um, you could you could feel a little bit of his frustration uh, from last season moving forward into this season. Um, you know, I would have I, I I would have liked to have a little bit more of a conversation with Coach and tell him uh, that you know what it will get better you know, with hard work and he does work hard. I mean, hell, he's been taking that program uh, from where it was to where it's at now. Hey, they're, it, it's, it's, I don't want to use the word tuition free cause it's not cause it's a club sport, but they don't have to pay to play. And that's unlike a lot of ACHA uh, uh, programs. A couple of things that I really enjoyed uh, from coach was his passion and his drive. And, you know, I think you, you made mention in last week's closing, how um, he was real with the direction he wanted to take the program and, and the level they wanted to get to. And in the interim, they want to go ACHA division one and he's on pace to do that. And, and, you know, they had a, they didn't have a wins loss successful season last year, but the fact that they were playing in division two and basically getting their feet wet, you know, I would love to go back and I didn't do this when I was researching them, but to see what it looked like year one and what the record looked like then, as opposed to what it looked like second year and third year. And it's a constant building process. The thing that I thought the most about coach was that, we were we as the people asking them the questions were seeing the effects that the uncertainty of our time is having on him. So he was pissed. I mean, he was upset with the season. He was upset with the wins and losses. You know, you you, you want the best and you want the most from your players, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. And sometimes you want the the best and most from yourself, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. So. It's not like you, you pack it all in and, and you caulk the wagons and ford the river like you're on Odell. What's it called? Oregon Trail? I almost called yeah. it Odell Lake. No, Oregon Odell Trail? Lake. Oregon yeah. Trail, yeah. Oregon Trail. I mean, you know, you just keep working and it's it's a buzzsaw and, 
you know, hey, he's going to get there. He has the mentality. He has the determination. He definitely has the support from the school and, and the alumni. Maybe we can get Steve Carell uh, on board with that. No free ad, Steve Carell. But, you know. No, that's, he, you know that, that's not a free ad. That's a Steve Carell, get on board with your alma mater. Yeah. That's what that is. And so it's all going in the right direction. It's just we, we caught him on a day when, when the frustration of the unknown is setting in and or is in. I don't think it's setting in. And but overall, man, what he's doing, great things, man. Great things at Denison. So so think about the frustration. Though. I mean, I, and, and I, I guess I, I mean, I don't I totally get it. So it, when you're involved in sports and you have a season that didn't go as well as you want, but you've got a really nice incoming class or recruiting class and you don't know if you're able to to use that class because obviously the pandemic. Right. You're frustrated with the way the season went. And now you're frustrated that, you know, you kind of you, you just, you know, flip the, the script here and you got some really talented players to come your way. And now you don't know if you're able to have that now. Same way with a winning season. And now you just want to get back at it and you're kind of halted. So I understand the frustration. Uh, I really do. Um, it, but you know what? Sooner or later, uh, we will get back at it. And Coach German, he'll have his guys uh, moving, like you said, right up that ladder. And, and for the record, I know Coach commented on uh, the post that that uh, the Digest puts out about you know little caps or uh, little tidbits about what the upcoming episode is going to be like. And I know he commented and said, and he said, "I probably stuck my foot in my mouth numerous times." Coach, you didn't. No, you. It did was not. great. It was a great talk, and we look forward to uh, sitting down with you again soon. Absolutely, he did not put his foot in his mouth one bit one bit well then we had the chance to sit down with a member of the new york rangers tim gettinger uh he was our guest fresh off his stay in the bubble in toronto uh and his first taste of the stanley cup playoffs uh, tim spoke to us about how he got into pro hockey from minor hockey and major junior he took the major junior route uh a young guy just starting his professional career you know i think he's his second year uh with the organization uh, i know we talked about it last week that I don't know how many guys uh, ended up in the bubble between you know, the East and West, but you know, he, he can always tell his children and grandchildren that he did that in 2020. Um, but for him to start his pro career uh, in a, in a situation like that, which was a, obviously very uh, abnormal. Um, I think the normal will become a little bit more comfortable for him uh, after this. Well, he's six, six, he's 200 some pounds. He's a big boy. Uh, he skates very well for, for being that big and he's still growing. Like he's still growing into his body. And every time we get to talk to somebody who's made it to the professional level, it's always fascinating to me to hear their story, how they got there, uh, what they're finding pros and cons of being there. And uh, obviously the pros always outweigh the, the cons. However, you know, Tim's a local guy to, to us here in Cleveland and it's, it's just exciting to watch. And, and as we spoke about at the end of last week was listening to him tell his call-up story was absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. And the fact that he's only 22 years old, he's just starting out, he made the playoff roster, he was in the Stanley Cup playoff uh, bubble, if you will, in Toronto. Man, the sky's the limit for the kid. He's got the work ethic. Uh, he's got the mentality for, for the pro hockey game where it can be. It can be a challenge at times. Sometimes the business side gets in the way. But he has the good uh, good mentality and the good work ethic to see him all the way through, let's hope. 
No, absolutely. I, I definitely agree with you. And I, I, I look forward to watching him. It was such a good, a good talk. And, you know, you and I were able to get a chance to, you know, spend, not spend some time with him, but see him throughout the rink uh, and throughout our uh, summer uh, as he was training in, in the same rink that we uh, skate at as well. So it was nice to kind of put that, you know, uh, together there. Uh, this week, Jay, we are going West Cleveland, baby. We are going to the Hearst, Amherst, Ohio. We sit down with the head coach of Amherst Steel Comets, Mr. Steve Morris. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, something. This just ain't the head coach of the Amherst Steel Comets. Coach Morris has got stories upon stories upon stories of his time in Toronto, his time in Miami of Ohio, and we'll get to that soon. But Coach Morris, he's had a very successful tenure with the Comets. They took a three-year layoff when the school did not field a team. He then brought the team back continually left off, leading them to three consecutive Baron Cup titles and numerous winning records. For our listeners down outside of Cleveland area, uh, Baron Cup is uh, just not not as high as a state championship, but right below it. It's real close. It's the city. It's the city championship. I mean, it's uh, it's similar to the uh, they got the Blue Jacket Cup in Columbus. And and forgive me, I don't know about Toledo or uh, or Cincinnati, that region, but uh, it's. (laughs) To win a Baron Cup is a very prestigious thing in in Cleveland high school hockey, um, and he's done it three times in a row. Right. I mean, three in yeah. a row, Stevie. After after a three year layoff of not even having a team, we'll get yeah. on that though. But we're looking forward to getting to know Coach Morris a little bit better. Like I said, from his time in Toronto, to being the all time leading in points and assists at Miami University, to learning the difference between uh, uh, betting and a game of chance. <laughs> exciting conversation coming up today this is going to be fun uh but before we get to coach morris how has the week been for you guys danny what's good um so you guys know we uh just moved in the house been here three weeks and we had a toilet issue this past week so since the house sat D- vacant- D- danny danny lev has toilet issues every day <laughs> And not necessarily just at my house. (laughs) (laughs) What happened? Go go ahead. What happened? Well, just uh, we think it's just because the house sat empty for a year that nothing was running through the pipes. And, of course, I used the bathroom a couple times. And uh, I don't know. I don't want to take credit for clogging it up. But the plumber had to come out two days in a row and get everything snaked up and did they find did, did they find anything in the line? Like was anything in the piping or yeah, I mean they told uh my wife it was just debris. Oh, <laughs> oh rough couple weeks, huh there, Dan? So <laughs> some debris. Some debris. Um but that was it pretty much. I mean, then I went out yesterday and bought a chainsaw. So if you need any trees cut down, let me know. Nice. What uh what did you get? I got a how, how big of a bar? Uh 14 inch. Ooh, okay. So we got a couple, couple smaller trees in the backyard. We got to get down, and um, there are some uh, bushes that were dead that just I couldn't dig them out. So I just said, "Screw it," and got the chainsaw to just hack away. I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, I got nothing. I uh, recuperated from my weekend away, and uh, right now it's in your in your hammock. Was it weird? I don't know why you guys. I don't know why you guys make fun of that hammock, man. Well, I'm, you guys, I'm I telling you, you'd love it. You'd love it. I don't think we made fun of it. No, I do. 
I do. I know because I'm looking right at you and you two are cackling like hyenas at me. I, the first time I've been around you guys. Hello, my name is Stupid. What's your question, Daniel? Did it feel weird sleeping, you know, on a regular mattress? <laughs> no, because I sleep on the, it gets better because I sleep on the floor. So it's, it's actually worse now. It's worse. Oh, man. Wow. Well, well, listen, we How had, about you? Uh, How about you there, guy? Yeah, How about yeah, you, well, Blue? Mr. Blue Eyes? How's it going? Mr. Blue Eyes. <laughs> well, okay, listen, they came in a pack of three, all right? And, and for our listeners, I, I, I've, I've accepted the fact that my eyes aren't what they used to be, so I, I need a little extra help, a little, the readers, the cheaters, if you will. And, the cheaters. and uh, I, I found a pack today that was on sale. They were my uh, strength, so I got them. I didn't realize that one of the pairs were blue, so... Yes, you're right. They are blue, but I can see and read. What other colors do they have? Just out of curiosity. Black and gray. So, oh, cool. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, uh, Lev, I sent you a picture this morning. I was, I spent, uh, well, I went out, I took, I took uh, uh, my oldest daughter, who's a sophomore in high school, uh, my brother, my older brother and I, uh, we all went out to um, the horse track last night. Okay. We went, we went out to... Uh, uh, Northfield Park, which is like the, uh, the the Trotters. Hold on, hold on. Let me see. No, Jim. it must have been a family event. I didn't get a call. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Right, because you live right there. I know you. Guess, guess, I'm out of the loop again. Okay, go ahead. Um, so that was fun. You know, uh, you know, we we bet some horses. It was fun. We had the hot dogs and all that good stuff. So actually, to be honest with you, it was a beautiful night. It was, it, it was, I mean, the social distancing was great. We sat outside, brought your own chair. We actually brought a table, like one of those little fold-up tables. It was fun, yeah. right? Um, Playing the ponies. Yeah, right. Trying to explain to uh, my oldest daughter, what you know, how to bet on ponies, which I don't even know how to do. I mean, I, I know a little bit, but not much. <clears throat> but it was fun. So I uh, woke up this morning, and uh, I have this big fire pit in my backyard that I have yet to use. Um so I actually, I need to backward, I need to go back about two days. So Friday night, um, I decided to start burning. I've got all this wood that gets dropped off at my house. So I decided I'm going to, I'm going to season the new fire pit, if you will. So Friday night, I've had a fire going since Friday. All right. <laughs> awesome. So it started Friday night and then we just kept going, going, going. So today, um, as I know you, I know you guys know today, uh, Sundays are the cook days in my house. I, I, I meal prep for the whole entire week for a family of four. And uh, it's like a three hour process, but it's good because we're a very active family and you know, it's good to have you know, that prepared. So deci- today I decided that I was going to do some pork loin. Uh, I was gonna do some uh, uh, pork chops, some sausages. Um, and then I was also, I had a whole chicken that I was going to air fry. Now, Ooh, okay. if, if you, have you air fried anything in your life? No, I've seen it. I've never done it. Okay. So it's this whole concept of no oil frying, right? Right. Well, I've done it before, and I'm not a big fan of the oil smell in the house, like, you know. So I, I put the, the air fryer outside in my garage on a table, put the whole chicken, season this thing, put the whole chicken in there. It's 30 minutes. Whoop, you rotate the chicken, whoop, and then you put it back in, right? So I put the chicken in. No oil, no nothing, right? There's nothing. I then put the picture I sent you, Jay, I had all the meats over the open flame in my tripod. Yeah, in the tripod, that was cool. Yeah, it was, it was great, right? It was taking it back to the free range days, right? 
right? My my alarm goes off on my phone. Thirty minutes, I go in, boop. take boop, take the whole thing out of the air fryer. Stand in there, smells delicious, crispy. Looks like it literally was fried in a fryer. Now the oh, next thirty okay. minutes, so, you know, I got to flip it now, right? So so I flip it and I put the thing right back in, right back into the air fryer, right? Uh huh. Thirty more minutes. Now I know there's probably going to be some cook or something out there be like, no, you can't do it 30 minutes. I, whatever. I'm not looking for advice. All right. I'm really not. But, uh, so I'm tending to the meats over the, over the fire. I got some cherry wood in there. It's smoking. It smells delicious. My, bu- my, my timer goes off. I go, <laughs> I go into the uh, garage. Now you guys know this air fryer is like, I mean, it looks like a, a, an almost looks like the size of like a, a basketball. That's what it looks like. Okay. So I take out the, 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 the chicken in this thing, right? I take it out and I'm standing there like trying to figure out how, okay, I got to get this thing out. I want to get it in this pan because I wanted it to cool, let it rest, get the juices back in. Boom. The bottom of the pan with all the juice and oils falls all over my legs. Ow. What? So, you know how I said, guys, I might be a little late tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if I was. I didn't know if I was going to get skin graft or not. <laughs> so what happened? I mean, obviously you burn. I get that, but like, did you just like throw the turkey up in the air or what? Well, the first chi- of all, it was, chicken? Chicken. it was a chicken. Yeah, it was a chicken. It wasn't a turkey. It was a chicken. No, oh, Jesus Christ, semantics. Let's go. No, 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 no. I, 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 I held, man. I held strong. Yeah, I held strong. It was all over the the uh, garage floor. All the juices, not the chicken. Right. Put the chicken in a thing. It hurt. It hurt. But here's the good thing. It, it, it wasn't oil. Right. Oh, that's true. Good point. It was, it was just all the, I mean, shit, it was still hot as hell. Right. But it was just all the, if it would have been oil, I would have been screwed. Oh, yeah. Screwed. You know what yeah. I mean? But I don't know. I haven't, this is only like the second or third time I've actually used the damn thing. So I don't know exactly how this thing all fell down. I don't know. But uh, um, I haven't tried, I tried a piece of the skin of the chicken. Delicious. Um, so that, that was my, it, day today of, of you know the, the sunday cook day so if you could have seen me though it was i mean it was it was all over me it didn't miss a spot it didn't miss a spot uh, how did the the open flame meats work out though they uh it, it's so good like if if you ever have the chance to do like a tripod over the open flame raise it up uh, you know not you know you don't want it right on the on the coals right um i mean i started this fire this morning at like I don't know, eight thirty, nine o'clock. Well, I didn't start it. I rekindled okay. it. Yeah. Um, and it just, you get that nice, like I said, I was using cherry wood. So I was getting a nice cherry smoke. Um, it just, to me, it's, it was, it's a process, right? right? I mean, you could go on the grill and if you see it, like I, I marinated these pork chops for two days. So these things were, they were almost freaking cooked. They were so tenderized. Right. Right. But uh, it, it, I look forward to, to eating them because they, they're, you know, going to taste good, but, but anyhow, I had the little air fry, uh, incident. Jeez. Oh man. <laughs> oh, I, I want to have the cooking with Sully segment, but if we got to fill out a whole batch of forms, of uh, oh, no, safety man. forms, <laughs> man. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Hey, but just to let you guys know, and, and our, our listeners don't, you know, I should invite the entire listening group, but, uh, the annual clam bake is, uh, being, uh, scheduled so oh nice yeah i'll let you guys know that you know yeah, please so, do. And, and we might have to throw some pictures of the size of that clam pot that i have up on that that thing you get that thing looks like a turkish bath dude 
anyhow, I will I will continue to wrap my legs in ice uh, after the incident with the air fryer, but I'm sure the chicken will be tasting wonderful. Uh, hockey's back being played as we speak. Been an exciting week. Uh, time to block out the noise and catch up with the digest to see what's making news in the world of hockey. There is no better way to get your company's message across to the hockey fans in and around the state of Ohio than advertising on Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air Podcast. Contact Scott Harrington today at 216-548-2345 or at scott at ohiohockeydigest.com. The NHL return to play is down to eight teams, four in Toronto and four in Edmonton. In Edmonton, the Dallas Stars will go up against the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights to take on the Vancouver Canucks. It is looking like a Vegas-Colorado Western Conference final after the Canucks took out the defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues in six games, although the Stars took game one from the Avs 5-3 to three on Saturday night. Did anyone happen to watch that Blues game the other night? Yes. Okay. I, 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 I live with an extremely large St. Louis fan, as you guys all know. Yes. The Blues, they didn't even look like they wanted to be there. No, they looked tired. They looked tired. And I, I saw, I, I heard this or read it somewhere, and, and maybe we can talk about this. They say that the, the teams that are succeeding in the bubble are the younger teams, the younger guys. Yeah. Well, you think about this is hugely abnormal. You're playing such meaningful hockey this late in the year, if you will, these guys are getting ready to go to camp right now. Like they're starting their train. Like they're, they're in their swing of training to go to uh, uh, training camp. But now because of all that's gone on, they had that break. So some guys got a chance to rest. Some of the long-term IR guys like Tarasenko, they, then they send him back home. Yeah. They sent him back to, uh, to St. Louis. Yeah. Cause he just, it wasn't working out. And, but he had, to, he had to get his shoulder looked at or something. Yeah. 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 It was injury reason. It wasn't like he was just playing poorly. Hell, Tarasenko playing poorly is still better than half the NHL. But yeah, man, they, I, I watched that game and they did not look, I don't want to say like they didn't want to be there. They looked beaten. They looked tired. They looked, you know, and, and uh, Vancouver, like you just said, man, they're a bunch of young guys, you know, with, with Brock Besser and, and uh, Elias Pedersen and, uh, there's a couple others, and I can't uh, – uh, Bo Horvat and Chris Tanev, and, you know, they just got a slew of – oh, oh, forgive me, Quinn Hughes. Yeah, right. I mean, they're, they're a young team, and, man, but regardless of that, it was just a fast-paced game too. Right. The speed wasn't slowing down. <clears throat> no, it wasn't. No, you're right. The final four teams in the East will, con- will continue on in Toronto where the Boston Bruins and Tampa Bay Lightning will go head-to-head in a fantastic matchup while the Philadelphia Flyers and New York Islanders will determine the other Eastern Conference Finals. All right, so here's the thing. Dan, you got a piece of paper and a pen? Uh, I got my phone and I got no pad open. Okay. All right, here we go. So you got the Western Conference. You got Dallas versus Colorado and Vegas against Vancouver. Okay. Let's all you, – you pick your team. Let's have a competition here. And, and a night of drinks is what we'll uh, uh, wager. Giddy up. Go ahead. What do you got? All right, I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take Dallas. Oh, you can take Dallas too. I, I I as good as Colorado is playing, and oh my God, uh, what's his name, McKinnon? Holy smokes! 
I got to go with Dallas. I think that they're more seasoned and they're ready to do it right now. I'm going to get my ass kicked on that one, I know, but I got Dallas. Danny? Colorado. But I'll take them, I'll take them in seven. Oh, now, now, he's, oh, oh, now he's calling oh. a shot. Yeah, now there he is. There he is. All right, I'll take Vegas. Yep. I'm yep. going Vegas as well. All right. Now we go to the Eastern Conference, Boston versus Tampa Bay. Lev? Tampa Bay. I'm with Lev, Tampa. Okay. I'm going Boston. Of course you are. And then Philly and the Islanders. Ooh. I'm going to take Philly. I got Philly as well. I like Philly as well. I'm with you on that one. Did you just see, speaking of Philly, um, Gritty posted <laughs> a picture today on Instagram. And, like, the caption was, don't worry, guys. I got it figured out. I'll see you in Toronto for game one. Uh oh. <laughs> All right. So I think what we do, I think what we do is like, Dan, for this round, uh, if you win the if you win the uh the series, it's a point. And then when you get to the finals, if your team wins the series, it's two points. And then when you get to the uh Stanley Cup finals, then it's it's three points, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. <clears throat> okay. All right. Now are we are we calling out? I mean, going all the way through, or are we going round by round? Well, we'll have to go round by round. Yeah, let's go round by round. Okay. The Washington Capitals fired head coach Todd Reardon following their first round loss to the New York Islanders. Do you guys think there's going to be any other coaches that uh, are removed from their uh, status as heads? Uh, well, based well, on what losses, you, what you do got you got think? Op- options. You know, you got John Tortorella in Columbus. You got Jeremy. Uh, Colton in Chicago, Jeff Ward in Calgary. What do you guys he's, think? He's the else? interim, right? He's the interim yeah, guy up yeah, there? Yeah, he's the interim guy up there, yes. Well, let, let's call it what it is. Uh, did did Reardon really have a, a chance? <clears throat> you win a Stanley Cup, <clears throat> then you fire your coach, which it, they knew it going in, right? They knew right. it going in. Um, my understanding, and, and I don't know this on a personal level, but my understanding is that Trotz was very well liked by a lot of the players in Washington. Yes. That was very evident uh, in the handshake line. Yep. Okay. So the guy that you love to play for gets asked to leave, not, not by his choice. And this is also the guy that led you to the Stanley cup uh, uh, finals that they win. So I I don't think Todd had, had a, a a fighting chance in this situation. And it's nothing. And I don't think it's anything he did wrong. I just think it was hell. You know, that, that had to be you – have, you have the greatest hockey accomplishment, and at the same time, you know that the guy that, that you've been playing hard for for the past six, seven, eight years, whatever it is, is not going to be back. Right. I, I know there was some stuff with Trotz about uh, the what he wanted as far as control over maybe it was personnel. He, he wanted more than just to be the head coach. He, I believe he wanted more say, and Washington wasn't willing to do that, and he decided to, he went and got that in New York. And, you know, I, I uh, we've had the chance to, to, to talk with uh, Todd Reardon and nice guy. And, you know, as, as every hockey person seems to be a nice person and it just, something wasn't working. What that is, who knows, you know, you got guys in and out of lineup in a shortened series with, you know, coming back after that break and it just didn't work. 
I mean, that's you're hired to be fired as a, right. as a head coach, and that's just the way it goes. I'm sure Todd will bounce right back and get another gig, and he'll move on from here. I mean, but to say that guys like, you know, the guy in Chicago, no, they're, they're in a overhaul in that club. Tortorella, no. John's doing things in Columbus that shouldn't be done. They aren't ready, yet they're overachieving. They're that close. They're that close. They're just missing a couple pieces here and there. And it'll go. And the guy in Calgary, uh, he did a bang up job. He did a good job. I know he's just the interim, and who knows what the future holds for them. But, right. Man, so, it, it's so hard to say what guys are going to get hired and fired. I mean, guys get fired for less. Yeah, right. So, so, so read between the lines on this comment here. Does uh, Reardon end up in with the Islanders, or does he end up with the Red Wings? Just read between the lines there. I'm going to go and say neither. Right. I agree with you, uh-huh. but, but you I know it, why. It, it, I know it why. Right. I know why. I, that doesn't surprise me. Now the question is who takes over in Washington? Could it be the assistant coach with the New York Islanders? Could be. Lane. Lane Lambert. Could be. Lane Lambert's right for a head job. Lane Lambert has history with those players in Washington. Maybe Lane Lambert is ready to move away from Barry Trotz. Not saying that he's on the coattails because Lane can stand on his own. No doubt about that. The Columbus Mavericks of the United States Premier Hockey League have signed Max Williams from the Northern Kentucky Norsemen. Last season, Williams notched 55 goals and collected 83 assists for 138 points in 66 games with the Norsemen's U18 team. Mavericks head coach and general manager Nate Handrahan said Williams really made an impression at last week's tryout camp in Columbus to earn himself a spot on the Tier Three squad. Well, first of all, his uh, you know his numbers kind of jump off the page at you a little bit. You know, having 150 some odd points in a single season is uh, you know is impressive, regardless of uh, you know kind of geographic location. But uh, Max came in at camp. Uh, was a buzzsaw kind of all over the ice. Didn't stop working the whole time um, and made some plays. You know, he made an impression on us, certainly as a coaching staff. We're looking for players that are going to, uh, you know, play till, till the whistle blows and, and, and play with an engine that doesn't stop and Max fit that bill. So we felt it uh, a good thing for our club to offer him a contract. Handrahan says that the Mavs are very close to having their roster firmed up for the 2020-2021 USPHL season. Uh, we're waiting on a few players at this point, um, but we're uh, we're pretty close. I think we're adding a few pieces to the puzzle and um, seeing how some players are shaking out through, you know, some NA camps and NCDC camps. Um, this year has certainly been a really odd year, and there's an awful lot of camps being shoved at the end, and um, you know, players are trying to give it everything they got to move up as high as they can. So uh, we're trying to be patient with a few spots and see where it plays out through the end of August and then September. Team Ohio U18 Premier opened the front end of their split schedule with a pair of games in Pittsburgh against the Predators U18s over the weekend. They will host the Labor Day shootout at Serpentine Arena Winterhurst in Lakewood September 5th to the 7th. The Digest Scott Harrington caught up with head coach Patrick Metzger on the road back to Cleveland after picking up a pair of wins. It was great getting the kids back on the ice. We uh, we 
we had, you know, with everything with COVID, we had to uh, postpone our tryouts from, you know, the middle of April to the middle of June. Uh, these guys for the 18s, especially, they started practicing the third week of June, like once a week just to get them on the ice. So it was finally nice to get some games uh, here against uh, Pittsburgh this weekend, see what the guys, you know, brought to the table. And uh, overall, pretty uh, happy with uh, what I saw this weekend. And you mentioned COVID, a lot of uh, different teams and sports, they're concerned with getting their fall seasons underway. You mentioned you were more concerned with being able to finish the season. You know, you just never know with the guidelines that are changing on a daily basis and, you know, mandates that come through from the governor. You know, we're trying to follow everything to a T to make sure, you know, first and foremost, the safety of the players and the families and traveling and that kind of thing. Um, you know, so it does, uh, you, 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 these kids put so much work into it, like with the pre post for us, for our preseason, there's 45, some games scheduled for these guys. And my goal is to hopefully get all 45 of those games, um, you know, played and, um, you know, just having to recreate our schedule a little bit this year with, you know, probably out of those 45, I would say. 35 of those are going to be home games this year at our home at our home barn with either our tournaments or our showcases. And the first one being Labor Day weekend. Is it the 5th or 7th, I believe? You're hosting Labor yep. Day tournament at Winterhurst in Lakewood. Who's coming yeah. in for that? So coming in for that one, we have the Geneva Cyclones uh, out of Chicago. Uh, we've been a little good rival with those guys over the past few years, going back a couple years at Nationals, playing those guys at the National Tournament a lot. So built a great relationship with those guys. We have Dallas Penguins coming in, um, who's always been a great, um, you know, team coming in. I believe we do have a couple Pittsburgh teams coming in. I, you know, we're trying to keep most of our events very small, uh, unlike having 12 teams in a division this year. Um, usually our events sell out very quickly. Uh, but with everything going on, we want to really keep the events small, having each team, you know, get their four games in, even if it's playing a game twice throughout that weekend, at least the kids are getting the games in and the reps in. We go Labor Day, like you mentioned, and then the following weekend we have another Team Ohio Midget Showcase, September 11th through the 13th, also at Winterhurst as well. The On Air Podcast in the Ohio Hockey Digest would like to congratulate Cleveland's Cleveland native Carl Nielsen, who played at Michigan Tech, and his wife, Shannon Zabados, from the Canadian national team on the birth of their daughter this week. Congratulations to both of you. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The USPHL has five teams in the Ohio Hockey Digest coverage area. The Columbus Mavericks, the Toledo Cherokee, Wooster Oilers, Lake Erie Bighorn, and the Fort Wayne Spacemen. Learn more at usphl.com. Well, here we go, Jay. We're going to pull the bus into Amherst, Ohio. Marion Steel High School. Time to get on air with head coach of the Amherst Steel Comets, Mr. Steve Morris. Today's guest comes to us from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. He spent over 14 years at the helm of the Amherst Steel Comets hockey team. He's been coach of the year in numerous outlets numerous times. He spent four years at Miami University. In 145 games, played collegiately. He tallied 64 goals, 
138 assists for 202 points. He is Miami's university all-time leader in points and assists. He is a 1994 inductee in the Miami Athletic Hall of Fame. Please welcome on air from the Amherst Steel comments and a recent birthday boy, August 18th, Steve Morris. Welcome, Coach. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. We didn't have to bring up the birthday, though. All the other stuff, uh, I'm okay with it. The birthday thing's a little uh, scary. Well, listen, oh, I didn't I didn't on. say how old you were. I just said it was your birthday. I mean, I'm just going to tell you it's a little <laughs> scary. Dude. We don't need to pursue that any further. It's good news that I got to that number. It's bad news that I'm at that number, you know? <laughs> Did you did you did you wake up the morning of your birthday and go, holy shit, how did I end up here? Uh yeah, there there's some uh reason and yeah, there's a lot. I'm like as I said to one buddy, I said, uh, it's amazing as you get uh, that old, how bad your body feels. Everything starts to ache just a little bit more. Well, I, I will say this and 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 we can probably keep this between the three of us, but I Lev and I had got the opportunity to spend about three or four days in Vegas with you. So I think I I think I have a couple years off my life because of that. So <laughs> well well for, for those you know, we, we do these we do these interviews uh via Zoom call and we just air the audio of it. Uh for those you cannot see it, but we interrupted nap time for uh, our birthday boy. Obviously you were taking that afternoon nap there, big guy, and uh Sorry to wake you. That's okay. You know, uh, once you get that extra birthday in, you have a tendency to have one or two naps a day. Depends on how long you get to stay up. Right. <laughs> I love it. Well, well, Steve, you know, a lot of people in the Cleveland and not um, further than Cleveland area uh, know your um, career and what you've done in, in the game of hockey, not only as a player, but as a coach. And it's extremely impressive. And, and, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about that. And, um, you know, we've had the opportunity, Love and I, to get to know you on a personal level for many years now. But um, can you tell us, uh, us and the listeners, just how, what was your start in hockey like? Like, how did you get started? Actually, I started, it's fine, because I, as you said in the introduction, I'm from Toronto. I started when I was five years old. And in uh, Canada or in Toronto, it's a little different than here, is actually when you make a team, a travel team, and which every most of the teams, 99% of the teams in Toronto are travel team, you have to sign a contract. And it's a league contract. It's not with the association. It's a league contract. And what happened is I tried out for this team at five years old, and I made the team. It was a seven, eight-year-old team. I think at that time they might have called it Mites. I'm not sure what they were calling it. Um, and then what happened is the coach of, I think it was called paperweight at the time, found out I was only five. So he asked me to come play for that team. So what happened was I signed a contract for that team too. So the league found out I signed two contracts and they were going to add us a five-year-old in Toronto. My first time ever playing, I was going to be banned from hockey. That's how seriously taken it there. That's a little scary. My dad comes to me and goes, um, I don't think we should have signed two contracts. I go, why? Well, I forget. He goes, I don't know if you can play on either team. I, I'm like, I'm five years old. Like, whatever. I didn't know what team I was playing on. You know, you just go and you skate and your dad and parents uh, sort of handle all that. But, yeah, that's how it started out. I signed two contracts as a five-year-old and almost was banned my first year of playing hockey. Was, was uh, I mean, growing up in Toronto, so I don't even know if this is going to be a – foolish comment or not but what was your was your dad involved in hockey as well uh, at that point no not at all uh, it okay. was actually a neighbor of ours that was involved uh, it was a good buddy of mine at that time like I said I was five and he was seven and I had started skating I think when I was I don't know three or four and he said hey why don't you come out and we didn't know anything about it later on my dad became uh, a manager of 
a bunch of different teams and then became a general manager of uh, a junior a provincial junior a team and oh, okay. uh, later but he was never coached he was a manager so at five years old you already fired your uh, agent yeah look for new <laughs> representation <laughs> Boy, Christmas was difficult for years after that. Um, yeah. where, so did you stay in Toronto and just and play your minor hockey and then into junior? Yes, I did. Yeah, I played uh, probably with, I'm trying to think now, maybe only three or four associations. But uh, as I, I went from there, uh, then became peewee year, which was a very big year uh, there because you have, it seems that's when the hockey starts to, sounds really crazy, get a little more serious. There's a little more recruiting going on. Uh, things like that. So uh, I played there, um, played my BAM years through uh, Toronto Young Nats and Toronto Red Wings were most of the two. And then I played my junior with uh, Seneca Nats. Okay. And, and uh, so it was junior B up there. They had provincial junior A and they had uh, OHA um, junior B. And I played junior B. But the good part about that, I played at Seneca and my first year playing there, I was playing midget hockey. And then I went and played like, hmm, Third way through the year, I went up and played on the junior team. But on that junior team was um, Wayne Gretzky and Murray Howe, the youngest uh, Howe uh, boy. So average company. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it was it was interesting to know because uh, what happened is the reason uh, Wayne Gretzky was there, he had gone there, was he was originally from uh, Bramalee. No, where's he from? Bram- so, Maybe yeah, Brampton out that way, some somewhere out there. But anyways, he was supposed to come play on the, the midget team or in Bantam team, and they wouldn't let him. So as a Bantam, he went and played junior hockey and uh, dominated uh, the league at that point as a like a fourteen year old. And he ended up staying, I believe, there two years before he was drafted to go to uh, the Sault Ste. Marie Major Junior A. And then from there, I think he ended up in Indianapolis, didn't he? I think. Yeah, uh, he, he had a he had a good career from what yeah. I read. Yeah, average so, career. So, so it, was, it, was, it was very interesting uh, having that opportunity to play with somebody uh, of that caliber. And then it's very interesting to play with uh, one of the Howe uh, sons. You know, there was the youngest one. Murray was probably the smartest one because he ended up being a doctor at University of Michigan, but didn't go on to play hockey. Right. <laughs> but it, it, it was fun as you're sitting there and the guy says, the starting coach comes in and goes, okay, this is the starting lineup. And the only time, uh, He'd go, uh, yeah, right wing is Murray Howe. And we'd all look at each other and go, mm, Gordy must be in the stands or Colleen. <laughs> <laughs> because he never even got to play unless they were in the stands. Uh, and then he started. So it was, it was pretty good. But uh, he, he was, a, all I remember, he was big, strong boy, you know, the wide, not tall, but uh, yeah. good guy. So when, when, did, when did you make the decision to go to Miami or – did you have other opportunities? Was it was was major junior ever in the option or yeah, was it so, always NCAA? So I played that year and then I played one or two more years of uh, with uh, Seneca. And the year after I played with Gretzky, you'd like this. I got the opportunity to play with Paul Coffey and Larry Murphy and Greg Stefan was our goalie. Huh. So that was our team the following year. So uh, that, again, that again I, have, I have a question, Steve. Uh-huh. Why that? Why when we sat in Vegas for four days? Why the hell did we not have these conversations? Because <laughs> he was looking know, for a place to stay that time. He didn't want to bring yeah, stuff that's up. Right. Yeah, we, we were just looking to, to hang out. We weren't discussing <laughs> here. That's the. I really don't talk. I, I I only in conversations like this, or if you're out uh, with the guys and it comes up or something like that. Uh, obviously, it didn't come up during that time, but 
Yeah, no, I got, I got no, no, because we were getting, we were getting broken by the blackjack table. That's why. Yeah, that's bro. <laughs> hey, and then you would really like this. The the so I played a half a year with uh, Gretzky and Coffee and them uh, next year, and then uh, my last year there when I was uh, gonna I was leaving the following year, but uh, I played with Basil McRae. Remember that name? Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But the difference was he, he was the biggest wuss there was in junior B hockey. And he becomes what all time or second all time leading penalty minute guy in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, they must have, when he got drafted to Peterborough Pete's, he must have woke up and somebody said, Basil, learn to fight. <laughs> yeah, right. Because obviously if, you're not going to make it with those hands that you have, learn to fight. If not, you're going to follow the bus everywhere we go. Right. Yeah. And Sudbury's not close. No. And then actually, so I, I was drafted in late rounds to Marley. Should I answer your question uh, from uh, in the OHL? Okay. And, and one of the things you have at that time, they were pretty sticklers on it, that if you actually played a game or stepped on the ice during a game, with the, you would lose your eligibility to play NCAA, which was sort of the ultimate goal that I wanted to because a buddy of mine was playing at Miami and I knew a bunch of other guys that were playing there. Um, so that was it. But I didn't make the – I went to the Marley camp and I did not make the team. They sent me back down. And then I ended up playing the next, that final year at Seneca. And then I went to Miami uh, after that. And uh, yeah, it was, and you asked whether I had other opportunities. It's, I don't know if they're solid opportunities, but had talked to Wisconsin, had talked to St. Lawrence. Um, St. Lawrence at one time was looking at taking my whole line that last year from junior B. The one uh, guy that was my right winger ended up being an All-American at, Ohio State and the other guy was captain of University of Toronto so it didn't work out that we stuck together but they both had some success um, but it, the Miami one was the only concrete one that I really really had but we had were in discussions with uh, I visit Union College actually at one point um, so there was a few other opportunities. Why why Miami what was the draw to, to Oxford? Well it, it was the the most it was the concrete offer that I got from them uh, guy I played with the year before had been there. I had talked to him a fair amount. Um, he really liked it. And, you know, sometimes you just, it's, it was a new program. So it was a, a blossoming program in the sense that I believe it had only been varsity um, since 76. And I went there in 79. Okay. I uh, was going to join the CCHA the year after I got there. So it was a brand new program. So the opportunity w- was was good. Nice. So, you know, Steve, I mean, we, we know that you're a humble guy, but so I, I asked you to answer this the best you can. You know, what what's it like going back down to Oxford and having your picture and name? We we were down there playing uh, and we were able to to see your picture and name and the all time points leader in Miami University history. Um, what what is that like now after your birthday? However, however many you, you celebrated, you know, how to talk to our leaders about that or talk to our listeners about you know, division one, big time college hockey. Uh, how does that make you feel? Like, what do you, what do you feel about that? I don't, I don't think you realize it as it's going on, obviously. And everybody's always said that as you're doing the actual uh, event or being part of that program uh, after the fact, um, it's just a great honor that I'm part of that school, part of that program that's done so well. And, uh, uh, been a leader in academics and being a leader in the hockey world in the, you know, whether it was the CCHA or the new league that they're in now. 
but it's it's amazing to think that uh, it took place. You know, you got to play with a lot of good guys. You got to play with a, a coach that probably pushes you a little harder than you want it to happen. And then, um, you know, I was lucky to have a lot of good things come to me. It's yeah. interesting. I spent I spent the first 10 games of my freshman year sitting on the bench and getting no ice time and just sort of waiting my turn. And it was it was interesting how it unfolded, how, how it was set up was that uh, they really valued the the idea of coming in in shape, in great shape, doing a lot of running. The hockey coach was actually a soccer coach, so he liked uh, thought the running part and the dry line training was really, really important. And to me, it wasn't that at that time. It wasn't that important. I didn't realize that it should have been more important. So I was lacking in that area. So I think uh, that maybe they punished me a little bit in that sense. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I try and explain to everybody, it's no different than in the high school hockey that we uh, are in now. Freshmen shouldn't be playing varsity. You know, I'm a, I'm a freshman. I, I got to work my way in. You got to buy your time. And when you do get your opportunity, you better you better do well. You better step up and be ready and don't be sitting in the corner sulking and, and worrying about it. And I think I was somewhere in, in between because I, I felt I could uh, compete and be there and play at that level. But I wasn't given the opportunity until what turns out to be a really good buddy of mine um, breaks his collarbone, dislocates his shoulder, and I play um, the 10th and 11th game of the year and end up with six or seven points in the first weekend that I played. Yeah. So you sit, you sit to as for whatever reason it was, whether it was to, mm-hmm. to prove a point or to bide your time and you just go out and have 61 points in your freshman year. Correct. So mm-hmm. I, I'd say either message received or I'll show you either way you want to look at it either way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, yeah, there's a, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think what happened was once that, the guy who got hurt was on the first line. He was a transfer in from St. Louis and I stepped in there and the chemistry uh, that I had with a big right winner, a uh, winger from uh, British Columbia and uh, actually my left winger at that point. And then for the next three years was uh, Rick Crowley, who's the dad of Sean Crowley for Boston. Mm-hmm. So he's my left winger. So we had great chemistry that it just seemed to work really, really well. Um, it was the old school. The one winger was, uh, a big guy to come in and, and create havoc. And I do center who spent a lot of time setting things up. And we had a, a left winger who sit on the back door waiting for me to pass it to him. And he put the puck in the net. So it, it was a great combination. Uh, whether it was, I told you so, whether it was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or you can go up and down that, that whole list. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I just think I wonder how many points sometimes how many points I could have had if I played the first 10 games. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, I, I do want to say this, that you did you do talk about the the great history that Miami has educationally, uh, as well as and that and uh, for our listeners to know that, uh, you know, obviously Steve believes in that because you, you've you've sent uh, your children there as well. Or they've Correct. chosen to, they've chosen to go on there. I mean, you didn't send them there, but right. they they've chosen to go on there. And, and and to you, Miami wasn't just a a, a place to go to play hockey, and, and that is proven with your lineage of sending children there as well. Right. Um, at at some point, you know, records are made to be broken, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And and uh, obviously, to be humble and to be say, well, I don't ever want it to be, or it will be, whatever it may be. Uh, there were, it came pretty close with the Cleveland Native, uh, with Carter Camper. Uh, with 183 points. Um, 
it, that that probably would have been pretty unique. Now that you're in Cleveland area, a Cleveland guy could have uh, broken your record. What thoughts on that? Uh, that would have been awesome. I, I, I'm I'm wholly believed that records are made to be broken. So it's it's a good thing. And you know, there was a lot of other records that as you do that, you go along that have been broken. Just that one hasn't been. Uh, and Carter Camper was the the closest one. And it's funny that you bring that name up because Connor and I um, were your were son. In, your your son. son. Yeah, yeah, my son. I had told him that uh, Carter Camper and I had been in discussions of running a camp together in Cleveland. And I said, "How cool would that have been?" Yeah, right. Um, so we were almost we almost had that put together, and then he signed a two year deal, I believe, with Utica, and we couldn't put it together. But so I I would. You know, I'd love to have somebody break it. Is it? It's a good thing, you know, um, that it's been there for a long time. But it, obviously, if somebody breaks it, they they're having a great career and the program's doing really well. So that's a good combination because you want that to happen. So I, I will say this though that he he is the guy that came closest to doing it. Yes, but he was still 19 points short. So <laughs> hey, he pro- he probably played the first 10 games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He probably came was, in a little listen. higher touted than me, so uh, he probably got to play those first 10 games. So he had a 10-game head start. Otherwise, it would have been a lot different. <laughs> so so do you still get to go down for alumni weekends and things? I know. Do, yes. you still, do you still work the camps and things, too? Yes, I do. I do company. We do all that. Obviously, this year was a little different because mm-hmm. uh, I've worked the camps down there, oh, I'm going to say almost 20 years, anywhere from one week to two weeks. <clears throat> Uh, this week they actually canceled the, or this year they actually canceled the camp for the first time ever due to mm-hmm. the situation. Uh, I do go down. They did cancel alumni weekend. They have them twice a year. They have one in the winter, one in the summer. Summer where you uh, get an opportunity to golf and have a little more fun in that end of it. Um, yeah, no, I, I stay and I stay in touch. And actually, uh, now with all this COVID stuff going on and us not having the alumni, there's about. 25 of us that every other Thursday get on a zoom call for a half hour and BS back and forth about the good old days and tell stories every couple of weeks just to stay in touch. Cause we didn't get that um, in the summer. So yeah. Good. And most of those guys that are on there are probably uh, when I was a freshman, most of them are uh, guys that were sophomore juniors and seniors. And then there's a few of the younger guys now that have joined, joined in and heard about it and want to be a part of it too. So, it's 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 a pretty tight group. It's a it's, it's awesome. fun to be part of. And you got a chance to play with John Malloy as well, didn't you? Yes, I did. A, I believe he was John a was a John was a senior, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and I was uh, a freshman. And yeah, um, and actually, uh, I met my wife in John Malloy's class. John Malloy <laughs> was teaching. John Malloy was teaching a beginning skating class, and uh, <laughs> didn't know that. And I was helping John Malloy. <laughs> The beginning skating class, and uh, hopefully my wife never hears it because she never believes. But she asked me to tie her skates every time, so that's what happened. That's the story I go with. That she was always asking me to tie her skates, and she said I never did that. Yeah, that's uh, but, but yeah, that's why I, where I ended up. Um, it was soft, actually sophomore year because um, John was then he had became a graduate assistant. So he, as a graduate okay. assistant, he was teaching that class, and uh, yeah, I helped him. So. Did uh did you consider or or ever consider I guess thinking of playing past college? I did. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to play in Europe, and I, I got the opportunity. I played a half a year in Holland. Um, what happened was the wooden uh, shoes hurt your foot. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, what shoes are your foot? Yeah. So uh, I was working in in uh, Hamilton, Ohio. There after I graduated, and I got engaged, and I decided that seeing that I was getting engaged, my wife to be was uh, working in Detroit, and I so I thought I'll go back to Toronto, try and save some money. She can do that, and then we'll start everything off. And when I got back that day, there was a note: "Hey, call this guy." Uh, they want you to play. This was a Sunday night. They'd like you to fly Wednesday and play in Holland. And I always wanted to play in Europe. I had one of the problems I had, I had um, a groin injury um, my senior year. And so I hadn't skated for a while. I hadn't been on the ice since the end of that year and called my um, fiance at that time and said, hey, I got this opportunity. She said, go. And uh, Wednesday morning, I was on a plane to Amsterdam. So I went and played there, and then I ended up uh, tearing it uh, just before Christmas again, and I, I came home. So I got the opportunity to play for a half year. Um, I, it was awesome. Uh, I would have liked it to have been a little longer, maybe another year or so, but I'm a believer that if you're not good enough to make the NHL, hanging out and hanging around, uh, you might as well move on and go find a real job. And I still haven't found a real job, though. But. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, well, we'll get we'll get there. We'll get there. So, so you you go to Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, you said your uh, fiance at the time it was working mm-hmm. in Detroit. Correct. H- how did you end up here in Northeast Ohio? Uh, it's long story, but short. But so I got married. We moved to Detroit. From Detroit, I was a pro rep, which is called. I was calling on. I was working for a company called iTech, Micron, Titan, and Jofa. I was in charge of calling on the OHL teams in Ontario, all the NHL teams from Toronto West. So I dealt with the Leafs, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Chicago, all the way up to Minnesota uh, and Winnipeg. So I was in charge of dealing with them, high school teams, and all the colleges in between there. So then they moved me from Detroit to Minnesota. So we lived in Minnesota a while, and then I got an opportunity to become uh, independent manufacturer's rep. Um, moving back to Ohio and that's what we did. And we moved back, I think all in a span of about two years. So we ended up back and my wife's from, uh, from, um, the Cleveland area here. So that's why uh, we moved back to there. Was coaching always in the back of your mind? Were you doing any coaching in Detroit? Were no, no, not at all. Uh, I had no thought of coaching until I had my oldest son became, I think it was seven and I hadn't pushed it. I actually hadn't really stayed in touch with it that much from a, a youth standpoint or a coaching standpoint. Obviously I was still selling it and doing all that. And I, I would actually, when we were in Detroit, I go down to Red Wings, you know, locker room, work with the guys down there. And then I go down before game time, watch the, the skate pregame skate. And then I'd come home and people go, where were you? Oh, I was at, down at the Red Wing. Why didn't you stay? I've seen too much hockey. I just, you know, at that point it was just too much, but my son uh, wanted to get involved in hockey. So Lorraine County out at Oberlin, they used to have an ice rink out there, mm-hmm. Thunderbirds. And he went out there to begin our hockey. And I sort of watched what was going on. And I got involved from there for a few different reasons. But uh, one of the main reasons was, uh, there's a kid that our guy that was, I think might've been the president or he's on the board of Lorraine County. He's, he went down to Miami 
took his two boys down to Miami and uh, saw a few things at Miami, come back and asked me why I wasn't coaching. <laughs> you see a couple pictures, he piqued yeah. his interest, did it? <laughs> it piqued his interest just a little bit. And he <laughs> asked he, why he, he's, asked walk, he's walking out, he's like, I, I know this guy. How the yeah. hell do I know this guy? Mm. Uh, hey, wait, I think maybe on the drive back, two and two might have uh, equaled four, and he might have went. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. He did. He's called me, and uh, all he said was, "Why are you not coaching?" I go, "Coaching what?" He goes, "Hockey." I go, I'm, "I don't know why." He goes, "I just brought my two boys back from Miami. You need to be coaching," and that's how it started. So okay. So for our listeners that don't know about Oberlin, <laughs> explain that rink. Ooh, that was a great rink. <laughs> that, was, that, was the best Zamb- that was the best Zamboni I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 back then, it, it had the open top to where you could see the, the auger going through. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the Zamboni was like that. The one end uh, was open, no different than a Leary ice rink. You know how the one, one uh, end is open at Elyria there? Um, so it was open on the one side or the, the main entrance had two locker rooms that were no bigger than 12 by 12, if I can remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, they brought in like um, mobile homes type of thing. And that's where the other two locker rooms were that were probably somewhere between 80 and 100 degrees in each one of them. And they were so friggin' hot. Uh, but the wind, the, the netting that they had at the one end in the fall the leaves would blow in. So you'd be trying to make a turn around the net and all of a sudden you wipe out and go, man, I lost the edge. No, you stepped on a leaf. <laughs> but, then, but then in the, in the dead of the winter time, the, the one end, the snow drifts were so bad. Oh yeah. You, it would come you, in you, and, yeah. You'd lose yeah. the puck in a snow drift. Yeah, it was, it was, and yeah, it, the ice was good when it was good. It's yeah. like Illyria. The, when the ice is good, it's really good, you know, but, uh, yeah, and then they, I think they, Oberlin College decided that they wanted to turn it into a storage area or something. I'm not quite sure how that all came down, but, you know, the cost of running a rink is pretty high, and you got to want to have it. And I didn't think Oberlin College decided they were going to do something else with their money. Yeah. All right, so, uh, Steve, what brought you to be the head coach at Amherst Steel? Well, let me see if I, that's a long time ago. You know, that's 2002, I think, uh, now that I think about it. Something came up. The only reason I know that something came up last week and somebody said that, when did it start? And I didn't know. And somebody went, our first year was uh, as a club program was 2002. Uh, very similar to how I started coaching at um, Lorain County or Elyria. Uh, I had heard, went somewhere and I had, uh, somebody said, oh, we're putting a petition. We're trying to get a high school hockey team in, in um, Amherst. I said, oh, I'll sign it. I'll sign it. And somebody went, I heard you're going to be the new coach. And I went, what? <laughs> I'm just signing a petition here. <laughs> oh, no, I, there's people talking that you're going to be the new coach. I go, I don't think so. I haven't, uh, I didn't even know there was going to be a team. Didn't know there was going to be a program. Didn't know. I'm really, don't my kids are a long ways from doing that. And I travel a lot and. But what he didn't know, though, the petition, the bottom of it, the small print said, Steve Morris will be the head coach. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. So, so it was like I get a uh, call from uh, the athletic director down the road, and uh, your name keeps coming up. Are you interested in coaching? I go, uh, I haven't even thought about it, really. So I went in and talked to the athletic director, and he told me uh, who else had applied for it. 
the job. Mm -hmm. So I accepted it at that point. <laughs> Very similar to how you yeah. got your youth coaching job. Well done. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it, it, it it's a pattern. Be a little scary, a pattern. but yeah, it's a pattern. There is a pattern there, but that that was yeah that. So I went went back to my wife. I think I'm going to be the high school coach, and I can't tell you the words that she used. Yeah. Um, we just go with nuts, crazy, and um, and how are you going to do that? Was the other part. <laughs> so, well, let's and see. I didn't know. I didn't know how. To, I didn't know how that worked. And uh, you know, if we look back, it, I was coaching two youth hockey teams and a high school team, and traveling uh, four days a week, five days a week. Oh my gosh! So, oh, man. Yeah. So it was a. It was a little interesting at times. I'm sure. Well, let's see. Oh three, oh four. You go twenty and eight. Oh four, oh five. You go twenty eight and four. I think you started off well. Yeah, we had good players. Yeah, what you know what though, Steve? <laughs> Steve, stop, stop. Did, did, did we just meet? <laughs> Listen, you, you're right. You had good players. Mm -hmm. Remember, we, we, I can say that because we we coached against each other. Mm -hmm. But but you also in if you if if our listeners have never seen a Steve Morris team play, they they will they will turn they will cycle you into a freaking vortex it's insane so yeah you had good players but you also had really good systems too so let's I let's mean, the, the discipline that you instill in your players to play hockey the right way is really the reason that we re we requested to have you on this show okay. because what you've been able to do steve in your coaching career <clears throat> we watch and we learn because you are very 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 good at what you do I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, so 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 you 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 go from O two to O ten, or O two to ten, correct? Right, correct. Well, when when did the when did the program stop? Uh, so the program has been back uh, four years now. This will be our fifth year. So what? Uh, do the math. Thirteen. Uh, I think it and it stopped in twelve. It stopped thir in twelve. Thir it came thirteen. Back in 16. Thirteen. Oh, yeah. Thirteen. Okay. So so yeah. so from. Just, just to give the listeners an idea, from 2010 to 2013, Amherst Steel went 84, 14, and one. Good play. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right here we go. And 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 listen, I'm not <clears throat> disputing, Steve. I am not disputing that at all. Okay. Now, the 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 back end of this question is is I mean you had good you had really good players you had really good system. You had a good coach that put the system in play that they believed in that instilled discipline, hard work, all that other good stuff. Why did the team disband after 13? Actually the lack of players, strictly lack of, uh, lack of players. Actually last year, um, you know, we had success. I think we had 12 players of which five had never played before. So we actually had seven hockey players. Okay. And then um, of the four or five that were going to come back, we told them to go recruit some more hockey players. Uh, there was a gap, I think, at Elyria. Where we get most of our players is from Elyria. Um, and, and we had at the beginning of the program, um, there was a lot of people that were moving into Amherst to join the hockey team. And at that time, the, the peak was Avon had got a program. Uh, Midview got a program. Um, 
you know, so Westlake had a program. I can't, I can't remember if they all did at the beginning. I don't think those three did at the beginning. So now, and they, everybody was drawing from a lot of, uh, from malaria. Most of it was coming from malaria. And, and so there just wasn't uh, enough, uh, enough numbers. So, so it went away for three years, four years. And so we've been back for four years now. So, uh, um, at that point, um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to come back because it's a lot of time, a lot of work and a lot of effort, but, um, it's been great the last four years, obviously, uh, there again, having, uh, players that wanted to learn over the last four years have been pretty good too. So what was, was there a relearning period with the, when, when, when they, every, when you guys came back to get back up to speed, basically you, 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 the team goes away. You're at a height of success. You go away for three, four years, you come back with a new club. What was the relearning process like to get the new, because most of the, the new players that came in, they never had a chance to, to have you coach them. Did they? Yeah, that was the difference. Correct. They never did. That, that was the big difference was the, the last four or five years that I had it before the program went away. Uh, we had guys that were in the system that I had either coached uh, at Elyria, you know, from squirts all the way up through Bantam, or I had coached them at a couple different occasions or somebody within our program had uh, at least touched their um, for a year or two in the sense of had an opportunity to bring what I call sort of the Amherst system to, to it. Uh, the biggest and the hardest thing was uh, when you go away for, I can't, I always say three or four, I'm not really sure. That first year back was very difficult in that uh, nobody knew who I was. Really, they didn't know the, how we play. And to instill the idea that some of the kids didn't understand that I am very disciplined and uh, either do it my way or it doesn't work. Uh, sometimes it's hard for people to understand as they're growing up because they don't have that uh, discipline uh, on and off the ice. And then it took about a half a year for them to figure it out and realize that uh, when they did what we asked them to do and they worked hard and uh, they got a little success. And when you have success, you know, that makes uh, everybody buy in a little more, right? So right. you're not living on your laurels. You're living on, hey, every day that you're having success. So, yeah. And then I had a great group of kids that came at that point that figured it out and uh, – really got a lot better and really bought into what we were trying to work on. So you've been back for four, you've been back for four years. Correct. You had, you had that six month uh, adjustment period and you, you, and you rattle off three straight Baron cup championships uh, to, to date. And, you know, um, Hey, let's, let's, let's throw numbers. I mean, 16, 17, when you guys come back, you go 11 and 17. Correct. All right. So we'll give you half of those 17 or the first half of the year. Let's go 17, 18 through current, 30 and 3, 32 and 3, 26 and 5. I'd say the message was well received. Yeah. So, how, so, so I, I get, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about the discipline and, and, and your way, or not your way, but you call it, and I appreciate you call it Amherst's way uh, mm-hmm. of playing. Um, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, my, what part of my question is what's the secret? Uh, but the secret there is not only the discipline style, but also the secret there is, is that the players believe in it and the players buy into it. Oh, absolutely. If they don't believe in it, they don't buy into it. Then you got nothing, right? 
Right. So, you, but if you push it, like I said before, if you if you push it and you have success with it, uh, and certain players can play and certain players can't play within the system. Um, but if everybody, there's there's a role for everybody in what we try and do. And, you know, you, you can't change a player, but uh, I've been lucky enough that there's had some guys that are really, really blossomed into what we try and do. And really, we don't try and do much different than if you watch college teams or NHL teams. I've been watching way more NHL this year, playoffs than. But we do, we do a lot of stuff that they do. We just do it on a more disciplined, more obvious scenario and, and throw it out there where the NHL teams, collegiate teams are more free-flowing. Yep. We're really, really uh, disciplined in the sense of we just do what we do until somebody makes a mistake and then you take an opportunity from there. And, and I've been lucky enough to have players that can that buy into it, that want to learn, want to get better, have discipline. Maybe didn't start with discipline, sure. ended up with discipline. Um, so yeah. speaking, of, speaking of players like that, and, and, and I know you've coached a, a lot of – really good players and, and, and not only good players on the ice, but also off the ice as well. Um, you know, it, 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 it has to be nice to coach a lot. I mean, it is coach a lot of these players, but when you have a player like Jacob Kramer that, you know, you're able to coach and, and for our listeners that don't know, Jacob Kramer set the state scoring record with 471 career points. Um, and, you know, a kid that, that maybe freshman year might not have, bought into the system. I don't know that. I don't know your relationship. I don't know how it went, but he surely found it real quick because you didn't have a chance to coach Jake. uh, Correct. Previously. Correct. No, I did not. I didn't even know who Jacob Kramer was. That was the other thing going into that. I didn't know any of the players from a hockey standpoint. I had never seen him play. Uh, First time I seen him was, uh, you know, you have that captain or summer skate. And that was the first time we got to see. And Jacob was is a perfect example of somebody who uh, bought in, but was a very disciplined kid to start with. So he was a very easy one, wanted to get better, wanted to be one of the best, wanted to work hard, never said anything. It, it, every coach would dream of having a, a Jacob Kramer in the sense of every day just came to play and came to work and didn't say nothing whether it went well or didn't go well. And obviously – it wasn't that great the, the freshman year from a team standpoint, but he had he had some success because he never came off the ice because we only had enough players, right? So right, right. Uh, it, it all it all works goes hand in hand, but no, it, it, Jacob's a, a wonderful individual, and actually in going to Miami University, so that's uh, imagine that. Oh, yeah, shock. Oh, yeah, that's shock, odd. That's yeah. odd. That's 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 a that's a game of chance right there. Hey, I hey, can't believe that happened, but uh. you had another opportunity, and I, I know you you coached these guys uh, in their youth days. You also had the opportunity as as they be blossomed into young men, I guess, if you will, and, and matured to coach your sons. Mm-hmm. What was that like, being dad and coach? And were there ever days that the, that the line of those two blurred? We should ask yes, his wife. No. We should ask. We should ask his wife this question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, first off, I guess yeah, I, 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 I'm one one of the luckiest guys in the world to be able to do that. So yeah. you know, yeah. uh, to be able to do that, and uh, I don't think the line ever blurred, but they they knew. Um, both of them knew who I was, and they I knew who they were. So 
um, they they got the program. They they were bought into it. They understood what was going on. Um, so it really helped them in the sense of I gave them some slack, but they knew that I wasn't going to teach or treat them as a son during the game or during practices or anything. They were treated as a, a as a player like everybody else. They would be disciplined or whatever, you know, or or in some cases maybe more so. Especially my my older one, I would tell him, uh, tap him on the shoulder and say, "Hey, I'm coming in to rip you apart here. Just uh, look me in the eye and nod yes." So uh, <laughs> we we had an understanding uh, at, at times that, but it, it was it was awesome. The only thing I wish between you and me, I wish they played one year together. If we had worked that out, uh, that there was an opportunity that, you know, that they could have played high school together and coached them both at the same time would have been probably the ultimate. Was there ever a time where either of them did something bonehead in a game or, or in a practice and, and you, you let it, you just let it sit and you got home and it just coach hat came back on. And he said, well, what were you thinking? No, I, I would do it instantly right there. I would, uh, wouldn't wait that long because I don't, uh, weight that with any other player so I would treat him on the ice or in the locker room or exactly the same no I, and then maybe after uh, I might come back at him or uh, one of them would go hey dad uh, you know sorry I you know that was really stupid type of thing so uh, we never I didn't carry that home that much I don't think I think I'm able to separate it pretty good um, some reasons because at that time, I was traveling a lot for work. So, you know, I don't think I want to be the dad that rode him hard at hockey, rode him hard at home, and then went on the road for three days. You know, right. I, right. so I, I was lucky enough that I had a great, great family. My wife was awesome through the whole thing. And um, it, it, it worked out really well. At least I think it did. And, and you guys, you guys have had the opportunity to talk to both of them. So, I, yeah. well, you know, and, and obviously you, <clears throat> you guys have done a great job with all of your children. And, and so, you, yeah, I would agree with that. And, um, you know, so what, you know, hockey in Ohio or, or well, let's just say the state of Ohio, yeah. you know, what, what do you think needs to happen or change to see it grow for the good? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Don't you think? <laughs> that's why, that's why, that's why I'm here, Steve. <laughs> Asking the hard hitting question, Steve. Hey, 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 hey give, give me more uh, chance to think about that. Ask that question again for a little bit. <laughs> well, hell, we only had, we only asked 15 ones before this one, so. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, I, I think one of the biggest problems we have um, is we don't have enough what I call house league at the little, at the young age group. So I, I think we are concentrating and I could be wrong because I'm not that close to it, but the people out of Colorado are, are really concentrating on travel hockey a little bit, or it comes across to me that the days when things were really good is when there was a lot of house league. When Farmington Hills, Michigan had 20 house league teams and, um, uh, you know, all these people had great big beginner programs and they not, mom and dad didn't have to, um, say their, their, their son or daughter was a triple A or double A or an A travel player that um, I think the problem is the cost has gone up when you travel and do all that. I think in the Cleveland area, you know, you could have an East side and a West side house league, but you could still play 
you know, Elyria could play Rocky River and Winterhurst and not really, North Olmstead, not have to travel any further than 30 minutes away, right? And uh, I, I think we've got away from the basics. Uh, people that do a really good job, I, I still travel a lot around. Uh, Savannah Tamashaner has, has a great beginner program uh, in Toledo area there. They really concentrate on, I think, trying to keep a house league atmosphere where you can play against each other. I don't think you have to, to play hockey. I don't think you have to say you traveled uh, an hour away or traveled to Columbus to play. I, I think um, getting out and playing, playing hockey on a Saturday morning in Elyria or Rocky River is the same as why do you have to travel that far? So I think the lack of concentration on, on growing the sport at that level, um, I'd like to see that happen. Gotcha. So this upcoming season, you guys are moving Amherst Steel. You guys are you're moving to the Red Division, Great Cleveland High School Hockey League. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on moving up to the top division? I think it's a great opportunity. Uh, I know some people looked at it as uh, it was punishment for winning uh, the weight division for the last <laughs> four years. Um, I, I look at it as I, I think as an honor system in, in the sense that they they're saying, hey we basically don't want you to win that day again. And we think you're good enough to go compete at that other, uh, that other level. And that's great. You know, being really a program that's been around, you know, whatever, 16 years, but really only four years for them to do that is, as I say, to our athletic, it's a challenge. It's a challenge that we'll accept and we'll uh, see what we can do. See if we can compete at that level. Uh, the biggest problem I have with it is we don't have numbers. We'll have 13 kids of which, you know, seven or eight could actually maybe play at that level. So a little, a little concerned with um, the, the breakdown of the, of the players over the season going against really like mentor, who's obviously a very, very good program and Rocky river is a great program. And, you know, even the other ones, the, the Strongsville and Benedictine and uh, Hudson, um, you know, when you, when you're there and you're going toe to toe with them with 13 players of which, three are going to be freshmen and uh, you know, a couple that haven't played that much. And that that's where I'm a little concerned just from uh, a healthy standpoint, right. From being able to compete. I think we're going to go try. I, I, I think it's a challenge. And I think the players always look at that too. Right? I wish they could see your smile right now. I love it, dude. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I, I guess the end, end, uh, the discussion or the talk and, and, you know, obviously we have, we're, we're, in, we're in weird times right now. And, you know, we, we finally, last week, we got the, the somewhat go ahead for contact sports here in the state of Ohio to move forward. Correct. Um, uh, I, I mean, as the best as we can, and I, obviously our sport in the high school level, you know, we have to wait a few months to see, well, cause we're not going to start anyhow, but I think they're going to kind of take a good look at, at some other sports and say, you know, this is either going to go or not going to go. Um, with that being said, what, what are you looking forward to with the upcoming year or what are your concerns as well with everything going on? Well, yeah, I, I think we all have to, uh, and we don't know health concerns. Okay. I think, uh, we, we got to try and figure out, I do this. Uh, I don't think we're going to be perfect at anything. I think, uh, obviously, um, you want everybody to stay healthy in, in that end of it. Uh, I think the, the football, we'll see how the football season goes. I think if the football season goes well, I think that bodes well for hockey. Um, do you, forward. Not to interrupt, but do you think a, a, a sport more like volleyball we would have to look at because they're indoors? 
Well, I was going to say, but the only problems with um, uh, football, using football as comparison, they're outdoor and we're indoor. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, but you're, we're, but we're all using the locker rooms and we're all using, you know, a bench and we're all using, uh, football's got a lot more players. Volleyball's got, what, eight or, I haven't been to a volleyball game for a while, but not that many sitting on the bench. The uniqueness is we, we got helmets and masks and we got full equipment. So um, I think, and in our case, we got 13 players. We can spread out a little bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we're, on, we're, on, we're on 20 on the bench. Uh, so I, I think there's concerns. I think it's out of our control. I, you know, I'm trying to approach the season uh, like, hey, it's a, it's a full go, but everything that we do or talk is with health concerns and, and trying to follow uh, what you're supposed to follow and whether we believe it or not believe it, it's really irrelevant uh, that, that, you know, that's what I try and explain to everybody. It's beliefs, my beliefs, your beliefs, anybody's belief doesn't matter. We just got to follow what it is and, and what it is, we'll deal with it. And as it comes about, we'll, it, it'll see what it is. I, there is slight concern about it. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, I, whatever they find something that make us feel a lot more comfortable, me, parents feel more comfortable and make the players and everybody feel comfortable and stay, stay healthy. And I think we can do that. We just got to follow some, uh, follow the rules. Right. Right. No, I agree. And we've had numerous conversations about, uh, I shouldn't say conversations, but numerous rants about, you know, this, obviously this pandemic we're in right now, you know, and, and kind of some of the restrictions that are, are put on not only us, but also our student athletes and, and not even or pro athletes or whatever it may be. So, um, you know, and, and you don't know until you, you, you try, right. You don't know right. until you try. And, right. and again, nobody, nobody that I, that we've talked to in the, in the 20, 20 episodes or around the ranks would want anything to happen to any uh, student athlete, any adult, anything. Um, but at the same time though, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta live life, yeah. man. I don't. I don't think us in the in the in the hockey business. I don't think we have an agenda to try and uh, make sure we play and do all this at at the, you know, at the opportunity of somebody getting sick or doing that. Where the, our goal is to do it right with that opportunity to play. Right. And I think we can. I think I'm hoping we get the opportunity. But you know, I think it. You and I don't really control that. You know. No. I, no. I, I'd like to. I like to think we have control over some things. Uh, this one we have zero control over so right. now now i guess we gotta teach ourselves discipline and try and stay disciplined on on <laughs> yeah, this and, right. and, and, and say the right things and do the right things and, and hopefully at the end of the day uh it all works out and i i think it could be i think it's gonna be good uh um, i think uh, there's a lot of good things that have been put into place and and hopefully uh we learn from this in the long run whether the you know some of the norms are, are better than they were uh, whatever. Seven months ago, yeah. Seven yeah. months ago, right? I, I think uh, I think that at the end of the day, there's pretty pretty good. Hey, I don't I don't mind going into a store and uh, there's a, sh a shield sitting there. <laughs> yeah, right. In the cash register, you know, in come flu season and all that other stuff. And the idea that every time I get in my car, I you know put uh, disinfectant on my hands and you know you do stuff like that. That maybe we should have been doing some of that stuff all along. Right. Right. I, right. I mean. Uh, ho hopefully it's 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 a good thing that comes out of it yeah well hey steve thank you so much for taking this past hour talking to us about your hockey career your your hockey coaching uh uh career as well some you know your personal stories all that good stuff 
uh, for our listeners, Steve's in sunny South Carolina right now as he's taking time away to talk to us from his family. So we do appreciate that. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, and again, like you, I'm very optimistic that we will have a high school season this year. And as the season goes on, we'd love to have you back on, talk halfway through the high school season, chat it up a little bit more. Any, anytime, guys. It's it's fun. Good to see you guys. And uh, hopefully it's in a rink or uh, somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, well, ho- hopefully a right rink down then the somewhere street, else. Right, right down the street from the rink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're somewhere else, right? Yes, I'm with you. I'm, with I'm, you. I'm not sure where that somewhere else is or where it's going to be, but uh, somewhere else that we can uh, – just hang out and uh, and BS like this. It's, I appreciate the opportunity, guys. It's fun. Absolutely. Steve, nice seeing you again. Nice talking to you. Okay. And uh, uh, travel safe home. All right. Thanks. What a great sit down with uh, Steve Morris from Amherst Steel High School. Uh, you know, Steve, you know, you and I have had the uh, opportunity to know Steve for a long time. And, and you know, we, we have said numerous times every, every time we walk into a rink and hit one of his teams they're playing, uh, whether it was his youth teams, his high school teams, whatever. Uh, Steve definitely sees the game differently than most people. Um, but not only does he see it differently in, in, a, in a positive way, he has this ability. And I, I, I got to say this, you know, we, we, we don't want to lose uh, players to come to the school that we coach at. But if you have the opportunity to play for a Steve Morris, he, he not only sees the game differently, but he then – provides the the directive and the information to those players and they buy into it. And it is something fascinating to watch those kids play, man. The thing that is that intrigues me about a Steve Morris coach team is the way that he, the way that he coaches, I'm assuming without having seen is the way that he played. I mean, he had double the assist and he had goals, right? So obviously he's looking for something, looking for something else, setting up others in a positive manner. He does the same thing when he coaches. He takes a system or systems that he knows will work. He implements them. Sometimes the guys that haven't played for a long time, and it's not so he can, he can as, you, as we heard in this and we've known, he's a humble man. This is not for personal gain. He's setting these guys up for success. And, and it's a testament to how things should be in life too. I mean, if you're disciplined and you do things the right way, you can see the success. Steve's done that his entire coaching career. Obviously, he did that in his playing career. Um, he's a fun guy to be around. He's energetic about the game of hockey. He's energetic about coaching it and teaching it. He's, he's, he just does things the right way. And, and like you said, he sees it differently. There's a you know, reason we pick his brain. Yeah, you, you, you said it straight up. You know, he's a, fun, he's, he's a great guy to be around. You know, we, you know he, he even mentioned in the interview, you know, we, have, you know, we've, we know his kids. Um, yep. You know, we've known Steve on a personal level, and we know his kids. And, um. You know, his kids are just a, a, I mean, it's just a testament of what him, him and his wife believe and how they do and how they go about life. Um, and so is his hockey programs. You know, it's just, I mean, you get a kid like Jacob Kramer, who he, he even said, he said, I didn't know who Jacob Kramer was. Whoop. Mm-hmm. Fast forward four years, 471 points later. Yeah. And I have to say this. Uh, we watched Jacob Kramer play. The kid is a hell of a hockey player. Yep. But he's a hell of a hockey player because he had a hell of a hockey coach as well. He's a, Steve is a very humble man as, as evident in this conversation where the first thing he, I had great players. 
Uh, that was the players. That was the players. Well, somebody has to put that machine in motion, and that's Steve Morris and his coaching staff. I know he's had the same assistance for a long time. And, I mean, he's a good human. He's just a good human, right? And, and I, I hope the listeners got a chance to hear that in him. Um, there's no humble brag in him. It's just, no. this is what it was, man. I mean, I guess there is a humble brag in him. This is what it was. These were the opportunity. I mean, he even said it. If you have the opportunity, you better make the best of it. And Steve Morris was granted the opportunity to coach youth. He made the best of it. He coached high school. He's making the best of it. He's making these guys better. He's making hockey in Ohio better. He's making he, the hockey industry better. He's just, man, he's a good dude. And a guy that, that has no problem taking time to talk hockey. I mean, the guy was, you know, as we mentioned, he was sitting in South Carolina at his uh, daughter and son-in-law's house who's, who's preparing to move. And he said he cleaned the house all day. And the last thing he, I mean, I don't know, if I cleaned the house for freaking nine hours a day and I had to sit on a Zoom call for an hour and a half, I would be like, dude, come on, man. Especially in South Carolina where he said it was beautiful, golf courses were beautiful. But that's Steve. Steve does that stuff. So Absolutely. Well, that'll put a bow on it, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 20 of On Air is in the books. Special thanks to our guest, the head coach of the Amherst Steel Comments, Mr. Steve Morris. Check us out next week. Next week's episode is episode 21. Happy birthday. We're going back to college. (laughs) We'll be joined uh, by Middlebury College, NCAA Division III. Emick Bentley will join us. And from the Atlantic Hockey, NCAA Division I, Robert Morris Colonials, Aiden Spellacy, and Quinn Warmuth will be stopping by. Man, I can't wait to get back on uh, campus, brother. (laughs) for our 21st yes sir you can find the on-air podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episodes archives as well as a list of our future guests you can also subscribe to on air on spotify and apple Podcasts. continue to go in the game as best as we can this is on air get them out of here the ohio hockey digest podcast Oh!